Hello all and welcome to episode 18 of the podcast. This is and indeed I am the Dream Filter. Today we will continue our focus on the 1999 Kosovo War, the 78-day NATO Blitzkrieg on Yugoslavia, March 24th to June 10th. Last week and the week before we discussed the lead-up to the US-led attack as well as the relentless propaganda and slander against the Serbian people, courtesy of the Western government media complex. If you haven't heard last week's podcast, do it. You could also listen in on the one before it. Now, we shall focus explicitly on Operation Allied Force, the US-led onslaught. Do you want to know the definition of a brainwashed partisan hack? Rather than answer the question directly, I shall do so with a political chorus. Say no to war unless my candidate is president. Say no to war unless my party is in government. Say no to war unless I'm told it's for democracy. Say no to war unless it's for Western supremacy. Well, that was awkward. As mentioned in the last episode, the NATO bombing of Yugoslavia, most of it carried out by aircraft based in Italy or the firing of Tomahawk missiles from naval vessels, began on a small scale but escalated dramatically in intensity and indiscriminative manner. As stated in episode 16, the bombing would kill a bare minimum of 3,500 to 5,000 people. Roughly 60% of them civilians, but some believe that the real figure could be up to three times higher. The damage to infrastructure was in the range of $30 billion, according to conservative estimates, and $100 billion according to high-end calculations. In this episode, I can't give you a comprehensive summary of the war crimes committed by NATO. All I can do is offer a snapshot. At least 90 separate cases of NATO bombs causing civilian deaths, mainly Serb and Albanian, were documented by the Human Rights Watch NGO. Firstly, Be careful whenever you come across the seemingly benign title of NGO, as it's quite possibly a globalist arm whose motives are far more dubious than they may initially seem. In the case of the 90 accounts verified by Human Rights Watch, it's almost certainly a gross underestimate, as their tally of approximately 500 civilian deaths caused by NATO is an outright lie that simply doesn't match up to the documented facts. The first crime I will discuss happens in the Albanian-majority town of Nogovac, part of Orohovac in Kosovo. At 1.30 a.m., April 2nd, 1999, 11 civilians were killed and 5 gravely injured when NATO bombs scored a hit on their residential area. Damage was inflicted on houses, cars, and agricultural equipment. Many victims were from the same family. 
If you'd like specifics on this atrocity, such as victim names and post-bombing photos of two of the slaughtered people still lying in bed, I have a recommendation called NATO War Crimes in Serbia, brackets, Yugoslavia. Documentary Evidence, 24 March to 24 April 1999, Part 1. It has an index where you can look up each documented atrocity within that time frame. The resource is a whopping 425 pages long, covering the first month of the air campaign. The website's quite long, but you could easily find it with the right word search. On April 4th, with the deliberate NATO campaign against civilian infrastructure now getting into full swing, the Alliance bombed an oil refinery in Panchevo, the ninth biggest city in Serbia killing three civilians and igniting a massive oil blaze, sending plumes of smoke into the air that contained carcinogens with thousands of times the legal level. On the same day, NATO began to hit Belgrade, a heating plant, oil refinery and police academy among the targets. Meanwhile, the targeting of bridges was now gathering pace, particularly those over the Danube. In at least one case, in which a key bridge in Serbia's second city, Novi Sad, was destroyed, eyewitnesses reported having seen rescue divers in the water who were looking for cars that had been blown off the bridge. Good old NATO. In Belgrade, the populace was defiant. Many wore targets on their clothing in a show of bravado. Others protested and attended open-air rock concerts. I will now share with you relevant quotes from two pieces of globalist vermin, one of which, Thomas Friedman, I mentioned at the close of the last episode. The section I will read for you is from his New York Times opinion piece of April 23rd, 1999, titled, Foreign Affairs, Stop the Music, dot, dot, dot. The idea that people are still holding rock concerts in Belgrade or going out for Sunday merry-go-round rides while their fellow Serbs are cleansing Kosovo is outrageous. It should be lights out in Belgrade. Every power grid, water pipe, bridge, road and war-related factory has to be targeted. Dot, dot, dot. Two points here. It's a basic fact that the ethnic cleansing rapidly intensified as a direct result of NATO's airstrikes. There were a few hundred thousand internally displaced people as well as refugees from Kosovo and environs when the bombing started. However, well over half a million would flee Kosovo within the first month of bombing. Remember, while there was certainly Serb culpability in this, don't underestimate the culpability of the extremist KLA and their carpet-bombing NATO allies. Secondly, Friedman mentioned a list of civilian infrastructure facilities, then finishing with the phrase, war-related factory, obviously stating that he saw no difference between military and civilian targets. 
The second quote comes from Lieutenant General Michael Short, who commanded NATO's air operations throughout the bombardment of Yugoslavia. This is what he said, as quoted in an article by the International Herald Tribune on May 14th, 1999. Dot dot dot. I think no power to your refrigerator, no gas to your stove. You can't get to work because the bridge is down, the bridge on which you hold your rock concerts, and you all stood with targets on your heads. That needs to disappear at three o'clock in the morning. Dot dot dot. I couldn't find the whole article, but presume the quote was from a broader interview. Students, do you still believe the nonsense about the West trying to avoid? Civilian casualties. On the night of April fifth, ten civilians were blown apart by five NATO missiles in the town of Alexina, Serbia. Fifty others were injured, ten gravely. A dozen houses were levelled, with further damage inflicted upon cars, houses, factories, medical facilities, and shops. If you'd like documented proof of this crime, such as names and ages of the victims, photos of the destruction in addition to the mangled, blood-soaked bodies of the victims, you can access it in the resource I mentioned earlier: NATO war crimes in Serbia (brackets Yugoslavia) documentary evidence, 24 March to 24 April 1999, Part One. The town is in the index. April 12 would be marked by a notorious NATO atrocity at a time when the alliance was intensifying its assault against the civilian infrastructure and populace. A passenger train was struck by two missiles as it crossed a bridge over the Gredelica Gorge in Serbia. The first one was a direct hit, as was the second. At the regular NATO press conference in Brussels the day after, General Wesley Clark. Supreme Commander described the initial missile strike as really unfortunate, and the follow-up strike as an uncanny accident. Playing two videotapes that apparently showed the train traveling at excessive speed, supposedly making it impossible for the pilot to abort his course of action. Later, on January 6, 2000, half a year after the bombardment had ended. The Frankfurter Rundschau paper reported that the images in the videos presented by Clark had been sped up and shown at three times the normal speed, which would later be admitted by even NATO. If you would like to read more about this, including photos of the destruction and bloodied, mangled bodies, go to www. dot truthinmedia.org slash capital B U L L E T I N S two thousand slash Tim two thousand minus one minus three dot html. Oh, the death toll of this evil act! According to the so-called NGO Human Rights Watch, twenty. But according to virtually every other credible tally. In the range of 50 to 60. On the same day as the train atrocity, six civilians were slaughtered by NATO in the South Serbian village of Medari. That's right, 
none of these war crimes were in isolation. To highlight my point, I'll read you an April 14 headline by Paul Watson of the LA Times. Not so smart weapons are terrifying civilians. Now I shall read you the start of the article. Pristina, Yugoslavia. NATO bombers scored several direct hits here in Kosovo's capital Tuesday, including a graveyard, a bus station and a children's basketball court. The targets weren't mentioned when U.S. General Wesley K. Clark, NATO's Supreme Commander, briefed reporters in Brussels on the air campaign's successes. But the general stressed that almost all of his pilots' weapons are precision-guided so-called smart bombs and that, almost without exception, the targets are very precisely struck. Dot, dot, dot. April 14 was the date of another infamous event. In the early afternoon, NATO aircraft bombed a refugee convoy on the roads between the West Kosovan villages of Jakova and Dekan. 73 Albanian refugees would perish in the two-hour attack, as well as three Serbian policemen. Initial NATO statements pushed the contradictory, implausible narrative that the targeted convoy had been hit by a Sol rocket was military in nature and that civilian deaths must have been caused by hostile fire from Yugoslav forces. On April 19th, NATO began to get its story a little straighter, conceding that a dozen planes had participated in a sustained attack on two refugee convoys along the road. Despite NATO's insistence it was an innocent mistake, and only military vehicles were targeted, even Human Rights Watch would admit there was no evidence to suggest any military vehicles had been present in either convoy or that Serbian forces had killed anyone, adding that the deaths of several police indicated they'd been acting as escorts while traveling in civilian vehicles. That aside, according to Wikipedia, NATO expressed deep regret over the incident. <gasps> oh, phew. Thank heavens for that. Phew. Thank heavens for that. If you'd like more evidence about this, you could get it at www.hrw.org slash reports slash 2000 slash NATO slash capital NATBM200 slash 01.htm. Scroll halfway down and look for the title Refugees on the Jakovica Deccan Road, Kosovo. It's from Human Rights Watch but there's no disputing their coverage on this particular incident. Meanwhile, the propaganda campaign against Serbia continued. On approximately April 18th, and again about six weeks later, it's not easy to confirm the dates and exact figures given, a press representative of Madeleine Albright, David Sheffer, stated that between 100,000 and 225,000 Albanian men of military age had gone missing, the possible victims of genocide. He had made a similar statement before the air campaign began. 
I have to diverge for a minute now to give context. On April 19th, it was also reported in mainstream media outlets that the U.S. State Department put the figure of missing Albanians at as many as half a million. The Western mainstream media was in step with NATO throughout the crisis. I wish to read you a segment from a book titled Degraded Capability, The Media and the Kosovo Crisis, edited by Philip Hammond and Edward S. Herman. Pluto Press, 2000, page 72. You can find it online. Dot, dot, dot. Where NATO politicians tended to imply that there were parallels between the Serbs and the Nazis, the newspapers insisted upon it and added the dreaded H-word. On 29 March, the Daily Mail's front page reported, Beneath a picture of Kosovo-Albanian children in a lorry, headlines, Flight from Genocide, their terrified and bewildered faces evoke memories of the Holocaust. On 1 April, the Daily Mail ran a front-page picture of refugees with a mother and child picked out in black and white, Schindler's List style. Under the headline, 1939 or 1999. It's reported that the Nazi-style terror came to Kosovo yesterday in a horrific echo of the wartime holocaust. That same day, The Sun bluntly titled its Kosovo spread, Nazis 1999, Serb cruelty has chilling echoes of the holocaust. By now, the pattern was well established. Dot, dot, dot. The standard of journalism among British press was criminally subservient to the government. No better than in the USA. Reports of Serb-run concentration camps, including one such claim by Madeleine Albright on French TV in February, before the bombardment began, and various claims of 100,000 to 500,000 missing Albanians, were made by NATO representatives and parroted shamelessly by the media. On May 10th, State Department spokesman James Rubin spoke of 100,000, which, on May 16th, was repeated by Secretary of State William Cohen, who, himself, had made a similar statement in late March, as the bombing began. But on June 1st, NATO spokesman Jamie Shear put it back up to 225,000 missing Albanians, presumed murdered by the Serbs. Each of these statements and revisions to earlier statements was regurgitated uncritically by mainstream media, each time making headlines across the world, provoking further hatred of Serbia. By the end of August 2000, the bombardment long since ended, its place in headline news likewise, the Western-backed International War Crimes Tribunal had announced a final death toll of the so-called genocide after an extensive, year-long forensic investigation across Kosovo. The final figure, which NATO representatives and mainstream media had initially put in the range of hundreds of thousands amid the fog of war, was now officially revised back to 2,788. 
The bodies, moreover, were scattered in small numbers. Not a single mass grave was found. Several forensics teams, including one from the FBI, one from France, and another from Spain, arrived but soon left when it became clear that no mass graves were to be found. It would eventually be reported by the London Financial Times that the FBI had found no more than 200 bodies at 30 sites, a similar total to the Spanish team. Serbs, Roma, pro-Yugoslavian Albanians, and other victims of the KLA were also among the final overall tally of 2,788. This stunning revelation was largely ignored by the media. One of the sources that gave it any kind of coverage was The Guardian. There is an article from August 18th, 2000 by Jonathan Steele. You can find it on www.theguardian.com slash world slash 2000 slash AUG slash 18 slash Balkans 3. It is titled Serb Killings Exaggerated by West. Claims of up to 100,000 ethnic Albanians massacred in Kosovo revised to under 3,000 as exhumations near end. The Guardian, it must be noted, like the rest of the mainstream media, had originally been a shill for NATO in its war against Yugoslavia. This is confirmed in an article by Audrey Gillan of The Guardian on August 21st, 2000. It's titled, The Propaganda War. www.theguardian.com slash world slash 2000 slash AUG slash 21 slash Kosovo dot comment is where you can find it. In it, Gillan, about a year after the air campaign had finished, expressed frustration at the total lack of evidence to support initial Western claims of mass atrocities by Serb forces. Gilan, a correspondent familiar with the Balkans, recalled how she personally knew of numerous reporters who'd been dispatched to the region under order by their editors to focus wholly on atrocity stories, such as rape, that implicated Serbs. I recommend you read the article. If you wish to read a particularly hard-hitting critique, I recommend an article from John Pilger, who wrote an excellent retrospective article that covered this topic. It starts with commentary on Iraq War II, which we'll cover after the next episode. It then moves on to the big lie of genocide in Kosovo which the West had invented out of thin air to justify its so-called humanitarian war against Serbia. The article is dated 27 March 2006 and can be found at www.newstatesman.com slash node slash 192481. It's titled, John Pilger Doesn't Buy the Sales Pitch of Political War Lovers. On television, night after night, they flog their wares. Pilger makes the startling claim that only 2% of all NATO bombs hit military targets. The rest hitting hospitals, schools, factories, churches and broadcasting studios. 
on the shocking revelation that NATO slash government slash media claims of genocide by the Serbs in Kosovo were totally false. Pilger lamented how this confirmed fact was completely ignored by US media. With perhaps only the Wall Street Journal actively and openly covering the story in any meaningful way after the eventual revelation of the big lie. Now back to the air campaign. The bombing continued to escalate through mid-April with an extra focus on oil production and storage facilities. On April 21st, a Serbian refugee camp in the west Kosovan town of Jakova was hit by over a dozen NATO missiles, killing several people including a small boy and injuring 20 others as they slept. The camp had hosted both Serb and Albanian refugees from the current and earlier Balkan conflicts. NATO spokesman Army Colonel Mike Phillips from the Alliance's headquarters in Mons, Belgium, promptly denied any responsibility from NATO, even though there was no other plausible suspect. To provide an idea of the damage inflicted on Yugoslav society inside the first month of bombing, I'll read a section from the website www.wsws.org slash en slash articles slash 1999 slash 05 slash bomb minus m20.html From 20th of May 1999 by Peter Stavropoulos, it's titled Yugoslavia estimates $100 billion in damages from NATO bombing. Before I read it, a disclaimer. It is likely that the details and figures provided by Yugoslavia served a purpose. People lie and exaggerate all the time. It's not only Americans and Westerners who do this. So, an extra zero was presumably added here or there, rounding up was done, and so on, to make the point that the Yugoslav government wanted to convey. But still, even with that in mind, it makes for sobering reading. Here's the first half or so, maybe a tad more. The Yugoslav government has released preliminary data on the damage caused to the country during the first 27 days of NATO's air bombing campaign. The government figures, which do not include deaths or casualties suffered by Yugoslav military personnel, give a glimpse into the widespread devastation that has been inflicted upon one of Europe's poorest countries. Despite the damage and misery suffered by the Yugoslav people during the first month of NATO's campaign, NATO has continued to intensify its bombing, utilizing more military hardware and expanding its use of bases into Turkey and even proposing to now use bases in Hungary to further expand its attacks. According to Yugoslav government estimates, NATO had launched over 7,000 attacks, including the firing of 2,000 cruise missiles and the dropping of 6,000 tons of explosives on a nation which is similar in size and population to that of the US state of Ohio. These attacks led to the deaths of nearly 500 civilians, and a further 4,000 were seriously injured. 
Hundreds of thousands of people also face health problems after being exposed to poisonous gases as a result of the bombings. One million people were immediately confronted with water shortages due to NATO's attack on the country's water supply network. The destruction of industrial facilities has led to 500,000 workers being left jobless with a further 2 million people affected by this loss of employment. It is estimated that over $10 billion in damage had been caused in the initial stages of NATO's campaign. NATO has deliberately targeted both industrial and civil facilities, which included during the first 27 days, aircraft, pharmaceutical, appliance, electrical, chemical, tobacco, tubes, plastics, rail, hydro construction, printing, shoe, automobile, machine, cotton yarn and surface coal mining. Some of the bombings were carried out during working hours. At the Sastava auto plant in Kragujevac, Yugoslavia's fourth largest city, 120 workers were wounded during a NATO attack. The bombing has also devastated small businesses. Over 250 commercial and craft shops in Jokovica alone were damaged. Refineries and warehouses storing liquid raw materials and chemicals have been destroyed, contaminating several thousand hectares of fertile soil, rivers and lakes, as well as polluting the air. Those attacked include nine fuel storage slash warehouses, two oil refineries, a service station, a chemical plant, a fertilizer plant, a thermoelectric power station, and the petrochemical industry in Panchevo, which was demolished. Four agricultural complexes had been attacked and 250 hectares of land had been burnt down due to forest fires begun by bombings. The seaport of Bogojevo was also attacked. 16 hospitals and healthcare centers were hit, some partially damaged and others destroyed. A total of 190 schools had been damaged, including 20 faculties, 6 colleges, 40 secondary schools, 80 elementary schools and 6 student dormitories. The number of schools damaged would be the same as if every college, university, technical and community school in Ohio were attacked. Further damage to Yugoslavia's infrastructure included the destruction of one bridge and damage to another 13. Twelve rail lines had been destroyed as well as three railway stations. Six major roads and highways had also been cut due to the bombing. Two bus stations had been destroyed, as well as a hangar full of new buses. In the Leskovac region alone, over 3,500 industrial facilities and dwellings had been destroyed or damaged. Seven airports had been attacked and damaged and several thousand private houses across Yugoslavia were either destroyed or damaged, especially housing blocks in the cities of Alaksinak and Pristina. Public facilities and government buildings that had been damaged or destroyed include the Republican and Federal Ministry of the Interior in Belgrade, 
Security of the Ministry of the Interior and Hydro Meteorological Station, both in Banjika. The TVRTS Studio, Post Office and Refugee Center, all in Pristina. The Tornik Ski Resort, the Divshiba Mountain Resort and the Basista Hotel were also attacked. The city power plant in Kulshabak and the meteorological station on Mount Kopayonik had also been hit. And heavy damage was inflicted on four libraries in Rakovisha. The refugee camp in Parashin was also attacked. Infrastructure damage was also caused to Batajanika's electrical power supply, Simun's water supply, Bogotovac's power station and telephone lines. Pristina's power station and Polonje's hydroelectric power station. Across Yugoslavia, 17 telecommunication and TV transmitters were attacked. Religious sites and buildings were not spared from NATO's bombing. Nine monasteries were damaged, many built between the 12th and 17th centuries. Four churches were damaged, as were religious monuments. A memorial complex was destroyed and two cemeteries also suffered damage. Eight historical monuments and museums were also attacked. The latest figures for overall damage caused by NATO were presented on May 17 by the Yugoslav authorities to a United Nations mission which visited Belgrade. Damage caused directly by NATO's bombing is now estimated to be over $100 billion. More than 1,200 civilians are confirmed dead, and over 5,000 have been wounded. Since the air attacks began, more than 160,000 inhabitants of Kosovo and Metohija have been made refugees. These include ethnic Albanians and Turks, Serbs and Montenegrins. Dot, dot, dot. The evening of April 23rd saw NATO bomb the radio television of Serbia headquarters, killing 17 civilians, injuring many more. I'll now read another section from the article at fair.org slash extra slash the minus military minus industrial minus media minus complex slash seven slash question mark issue underscore area underscore ID equals 56 from the book War Made Easy How Presidents and Pundits Keep Spinning Us to Death by Norman Solomon dot 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 American TV networks didn't hesitate to show footage of US bombers and missiles in flight, but rarely showed what really happened to people at the receiving end. Echoing Pentagon hype about the wondrous performance of Uncle Sam's weaponry, US journalists did not often provide unflinching accounts of the results in human terms. Yet reporter Robert Fisk of London's Independent brackets, April 24, 99, managed to do so. Deep inside the tangle of cement and plastic and iron, in what had once been the makeup room next to the broadcasting studio of Serb television, was all that was left of a young woman, burnt alive when NATO's missile exploded in the radio control room. Within six hours, the, parenthesis, British, 
Secretary of State for International Development, Claire Short, declared the place a legitimate target. It wasn't an argument worth debating with the wounded. One of them, a young technician who could only be extracted from the hundreds of tons of concrete in which he was encased by amputating both his legs. By dusk last night, ten crushed bodies, two of them women, had been tugged from beneath the concrete. Another man had died in hospital and 15 other technicians and secretaries still lay buried. In the spring of 1999, as usual, selected images and skewed facts on television made it easier for Americans to accept, or even applaud, the exploding bombs funded by their tax dollars and dropped in their names. The citizens of the NATO alliance cannot see the Serbs that their aircraft have killed. The Financial Times noted. Brackets, March 31, 99. On American television, the warfare appeared to be wondrous and fairly bloodless. Dot, dot, dot. Robert Fisk wrote another article which was published in The Independent on April 27th, titled War in the Balkans. Damage. After a month of bombing, how much of Serbia is degraded? In it, he detailed several recent NATO crimes in addition to the bombing of the TV headquarters, listing names, ages and professions of some of the 17 who died in that attack. He also listed facts and figures on the massive damage to civilian infrastructure to that point and mass unemployment caused by this destruction. You can find the article online and I suggest you do so. Friends, I am now going to read you another section from the article at bear.org slash extra slash the minus military minus industrial minus media minus complex slash seven slash question mark issue underscore area underscore ID equals 56 which of course is from the book War Made Easy, How Presidents and Pundits Keep Spinning Us to Death by Norman Solomon. Dot, dot, dot. In late April 1999, with the bombing of Yugoslavia in its fifth week, many prominent American journalists gathered at a posh Manhattan hotel for the annual awards dinner of the prestigious Overseas Press Club. They heard a very complimentary speech by Richard Holbrook, one of the key US diplomats behind recent policies in the Balkans. The kind of coverage we're seeing from the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, and the news magazines lately on Kosovo, he told the assembled media professionals, brackets, Palm Beach Post, May 9, 99, has been extraordinary and exemplary. Holbrook had good reasons to praise the nation's leading journalists. That spring, when the Kosovo crisis exploded into a US-led air war, news organizations functioned more like a fourth branch of government than a fourth estate. The pattern was familiar. Instead of challenging Orwellian techniques, Media outlets did much to foist them on the public. Journalists relied on official sources, 
with non-stop interviews, behind-the-scenes backgrounders, televised briefings, and grainy bombsite videos. Newspeak routinely sanitized NATO's bombardment of populated areas. Correspondents went through linguistic contortions that preserved favorite fictions of Washington policymakers. NATO began its second month of bombing against Yugoslavia today with new strikes against military targets that disrupted civilian electrical and water supplies. The first words of the lead article on the New York Times front page the last Sunday in April 1999, brackets, April 25, 99, accepted and propagated a remarkable concept widely promoted by U.S. officials. The bombing disrupted civilian electricity and water, yet the targets were military. Never mind that such destruction of infrastructure would predictably lead to outbreaks of disease and civilian deaths. Dot, dot, dot. Friends, if you've already read this article in its entirety, then I quite sincerely apologize. However, if you have not read the article yet, you may consider my apology withheld. Students, it was not my initial intention to take this focus on Kosovo into a fourth episode. However, the crimes of NATO during Operation Allied Force were too numerous, too unspeakable to squeeze into a one, two or even three episode summary. So, with the campaign from March 24 through to the end of April now covered, we will recommence next week from the start of May in what should be our final episode on the Kosovan War. Before we go, I will leave you with some words from Bill Clinton. If what had been suffered by Yugoslavia after just over a month of frequent, increasingly escalating NATO bombardment had not been bad enough, it was about to get even worse. At 1.20pm local time, April 28th, the highly esteemed statesman made a statement on Kosovo at the White House Garden, before taking questions from the baying press. In response to a query from the sycophantic mob, this is what Clinton had to say about the state of the air campaign five weeks in. Dot, dot, dot. But the thing I want to tell the American people is, we know objectively what damage has been done. We know now we're going to be in a position to fly around the clock at lower altitudes from all directions in better weather. Historically, the weather is better in May than in April, better in June than in May better in July than in June. And I feel very strongly that we should stay with and be very strong in determination to pursue our strategy, as well as the very important decisions we made at the NATO conference to intensify the economic pressure. And I believe that if we do these things, we will be successful. Dot, dot, dot. Boys and girls, that shall be all for today. Remember, question everything. Do your own research. Keep a healthy, open mind. And above all, never forget.
You've been given an intellect, so use it. Goodbye.